This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB.com, alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Uh, Greg, we've got a fun guest on today, Lemmer. Uh, he apparently goes by many nicknames, as we learn in this episode. <laughs> Scoots was one, and then you know, I'll let the people listen to the interview to hear the rest of them. But a lot of you out there probably are familiar with him if you're listening to the Braves Radio Network or 680 The Fan. He's on pregame, postgame. He's done some uh, some games over the years. I think he's mainly just doing pregame, postgame now. He has a show on Saturday mornings with Chris Domino okay, talking cool. baseball. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so cool. So he's on with Domino on Saturday. So that's that's very cool for me. And you'll hear me get into it a little bit. He was just another. He was one integral part of those those amazing Braves uh, '90s teams and was part of the worst of first team and that whole crew. Really cool to hear his um, hear, get into his career a lot and going through the minor leagues as, as he puts it as an underdog like you, um, which I think piggybacks nicely off of our, our, inter- our interview, our episode with you last week and your journey through the minor leagues. It was cool to then transition into hearing uh, Mark's journey through the minor leagues. So you were teammates with, with him. What was he like as a teammate? And it seems like, by all accounts, he's one of those guys, that, when I've been around the press box, he's just a nice guy that everybody likes being around. Yeah, Mark was a, a definitely a glue guy where you knew what you're getting every, each and every day out of him. He's a hard worker, blue-collar type of a player. Like I said, and um, we'll talk about this, but he made – all the right plays you know he made the routine plays he made uh turned the double play when he needed to he uh did the routine ground ball he he ended up being a clutch hitter uh in the postseason for us and uh but a really good teammate and um a part of that homegrown group of guys the ron gantz and the david justices and steve avery's and um tom glavins that just had that core core group that grew up together and learned how to win learned how to win the minor leagues and it translated into the big leagues and and that's a big part he is definitely a part of that why you have 14 pennants out there absolutely you said it yourself he's a big part of the reason all those are hanging up out there i remember watching it and i remember how big of a part of those teams that he was so uh, without further ado why don't we just get straight to him here he is mark lemke lemke hits it into left field Here comes Justice! Save! And Atlanta wins it! 
All right, Limmer, welcome to Behind the Braves. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> well, it's another game day for you. You've been a uh, mainstay on the pregame show for a long – how many years has it been now? Been quite a while. I haven't really counted, but it's more than 10. <laughs> more <laughs> than 10, maybe around the 15 15- – yeah, Mark, I think. Yeah, that's um, scary that's to think a, about it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You've seen a lot of guys kind of come and go. You've been the the veteran there on the on the broadcast team, and um, are you still enjoying it? I, I do. I love it. But I'm they've got me back a little bit now. I'm just home games. I was doing all 162, and uh, as you know, Greg, when you play 162, people don't realize it till you live it. And grind it out, and you travel, and and you know it looks like it's all fun and games. And most of the people, like here in Atlanta, think that Braves only play when they're at home, <laughs> and, and they're not playing the other days. And the other days, you know how it is. It's it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's been. Um, you know, I I see it all the time. Is whether you're a coach or a broadcaster, you uh, you have all the wear and tear and the grind as a player, but without the pay. Uh, big time. <laughs> Paycheck. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's, that's right. True. Paycheck's a little different nowadays. And, and the emotion, I, I think, is a little less as a broadcaster. Uh, you might have your ups and downs with teams, but I don't think you quite feel like when you're a member of a club. You know, those ups and downs can really grind on you. So it's great during the good times, but very tough. You know, baseball is such highs and lows, but during those low times, it's tough during baseball. Yeah, I think you've done uh, when when I've li- of course I've listened to you. I've been here in Atlanta, uh, just like you. We finished our careers. We stayed here. We've been in touch, play golf. We you've you've been involved with the alumni association. We play golf together and and do some things like that. But uh, I've always listened to you, and you seem like you've done a really good job being respectful with the players because sometimes you know as well as I do there's been those guys that once they become broadcasters or once they become commentators they they don't hold anything back but it seems like you've always struck a good balance between knowing that you're a former player but yet now you're you're talking about current players and has that been a tough balance I mean because you can just start ripping guys if you want to well I think being a former player you realize how hard it really is to play the game and the other thing behind that, look, nobody wants to be ripped and, and ridiculed. I, I think guys are major league players for a reason. They've been through it all. They know when they've made mistakes. They don't need mm-hmm. someone else reiterating and keep har- harping on it. But I think it works kind of against me in the broadcast field because sometimes you have the feeling that that's kind of what they want, mm. a little bit more right. uh, sharpness. But and I just haven't gone there. And uh, if if that hurts if that works against me one well, so yeah. they want the twitter wars yeah. and and oh did you hear what mark Lemke said about you and put the microphone yeah well you've never done that and you know and i think that's that's a credit to who you are because that's just not you you're not going to you're not going to pretend to be somebody that you're not and, and i think we kind of live in the society now at least in the sports media world where the the hottest take gets the most attention mm-hmm. and the most outrageous take and the the uh, well, I was gonna I was gonna bring up a certain somebody's dad from the NBA who those types of personalities <laughs> get attention when maybe yeah. we shouldn't be given those that type of attention. It just seems like we've lost a little bit of respect for people in, in that sense. So, to me, I'll I'll take somebody that's just being reasonable with their analysis of it, as opposed to let me just see what's gonna take Twitter the most by storm or whatever. I mean, that's I, I feel like that's how you. I mean, you're you can be not even necessarily critical, but just assess the situation honestly without being disrespectful to a player. Correct. Right. I mean, I think that's a lot of what you have to do in your role pregame, postgame, right? And it's amazing. You can just come out and just make a blanket statement. It could be just 
nothing really and and read the comments underneath it and mm-hmm. see how many different takes people have on just one statement you can make mm-hmm. you, know, you yeah. have different sides to everything and people and then there's always those folks out there that can't wait to to you know throw a little gasoline on the fire not sure well let's i want to definitely talk a little bit about your career you had a great career you're been a long time brave i mean you just played with two teams so and both of them are kind of have braves roots you had the red Sox and and uh the braves most of your time with the braves 11 11 year career so if you're like me uh, sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm thinking, gosh, did you really play? Or you know, it's been so long ago. And and uh, do you ever feel like that? I know you're still around the game, so it probably helps a little bit about it. But when you look back over at your career, you know, what, what is it the one thing that maybe strikes you about what your time here in Atlanta? Is there anything, one, one particular thing? Well, I think what you're talking about, yes, it's been uh, – you wake up and you say, has it been 20 years <laughs> since I had a uniform on? You know, part of you feels like you were just there. And then part of me has to realize that some of these players that are in that dugout and clubhouse right now weren't even born mm-hmm. when I started playing, you know. And, it's like, <laughs> and most of them weren't born when we got drafted. You yeah. Know? I mean, so that, that blows your mind a little bit there. And the other thing, too, when, when I think back to my days in Atlanta, I just think about how fortunate I was to get through the minor leagues, make it, you know, you went through a lot similar things as me, such an underdog and, and then to make it to the major leagues and be able to last and have some good years here with with the team winning a lot in the early 90s. Well, you have, you're a part of a bunch of those pennants up there. So when you look at those 14 straight years, you know, your whole time here, you were like, you were a you know key part of that being an anchor at second base and you had a great double play combination with blouse so that that's got it you got to have a lot of pride you feel a lot of pride now just like myself just being a part of something special you know and maybe we're a little partial greg but you think about all the teammates we had and you say wow the organization did a good job mixing and matching and not i don't want to say they didn't bring anybody that was uh ruffled feathers or anything but they did a good job of keeping team chemistry in the clubhouse and and seemed like all the guys got along yeah that's for sure and touching on you mentioned be kind of being an underdog and making it through the minor leagues and getting to the big league club and and correct me if i'm wrong because i don't always fully trust the internet and the information i find there but according to what i researched it said you're drafted 27th round and there was a choice you could have gone to purdue yeah is that correct but you ultimately decided to go pro ball what was that decision like to to decide i mean late round draft and you know it that, that's a decision that a lot of guys have to make and i don't know how what the difference between back then and now was but what was that decision like well i think back then i came down to atlanta and uh, met the folks with the braves and came down and saw the stadium and and uh, that's what i really ultimately wanted to do and it didn't take long into my professional career to have a night alone and Head on the bed saying, what was I thinking about? You know? <laughs> and at that time, I had a full baseball scholarship to Purdue University, including everything. I mean, most guys that understand college baseball realize that most of the time, most of those scholarships are broken up, half or some guys get this. But to get a full one at Purdue was amazing in itself. And then to start out kind of struggling a little bit in my professional career made you think, real quick yeah that was one of the things i want to ask you can you specifically and we talked about this last last week was ricky kind of interviewing me about some big gut checks that i had can you remember outside of the first night you know or the first year there just struggling do you remember any key gut checks that you really had where you had to question whether this was for you or not a lot of them i i, I probably 
first uh, four or five years in the minor wow. leagues. I took, it took a while to get going. Uh, fortunately for me, I had another guy who was ahead of me that made it to the major leagues from my hometown. I was able to talk with and get a lot of advice from. And then my brother-in-law at the time played in the Braves organization. He had just finished. So I had guys I could rely on. Andy Van Slyke being one of those guys who went through some rough periods in the minor leagues and helped me through a lot of stuff. And by that time I was coming through, Andy was now a big leaguer. He was in the major league. So it was great to have somebody like him that you could pick up the phone and, and see in the offseason. We used to play a lot of basketball together in the offseason and really get good, strong advice from him. You know, he was obviously a first-round pick. That's a different story than I was, but he gave me good advice. Well, I, I would look back not too long ago, now that the rebuild here is kind of over and we're kind of, you know, a first-place ball club, hopefully a postseason contender here now. I remember going back a couple years ago and looking at, like, the Rome Braves club that was so good in, like, 16 and seeing those guys all together and winning a, a league you know, a league title and wondering like, is there going to be that thing a couple years from now when a lot of those guys are in the big leagues and that cohesion and chemistry that they created and that winning attitude they created down there amongst each other? Will they all bring that up here? And the, the reason I thought of that was I thought of you guys that, that came up in the mid-late 80s, early 90s and went worst to first and turned it all around. I mean, Blouser, Justice, Gant, yourself, Avery, Glavin. I mean, Smoltz, the list goes on and on. Do you see do you see a parallel kind of between the current group of Braves uh, that has kind of turned things around off the most recent rebuild and the group of Braves that you're a part of that turned the franchise around back then? Yeah, I, I think it's exactly the, the same way. Um, these guys seem to be a little more advanced at younger ages than we were at, at the time, but it's it's the same philosophy. Guys coming together, they kept certain guys back with certain teams to play, you know, with each other, win, try to win championships in the minor leagues versus, you know, I know a lot of times they say in minor league baseball it's more about development than winning. But the uh, Braves back at that time when Bobby Cox took over as general manager, I think they wanted to change the whole culture and get people thinking about winning and, and try to take that from the minor leagues into the major leagues. Some of the guys were a little bit ahead of – like I signed with um, Ron Gant. The next year was Tom Glavin. And when Tommy got moving along, he went up real quick. So he, he had passed us away maybe one year in a ball was with him. Then he went double-A and boom, he was in the big leagues. But when I got to double-A and triple-A, guys that were on the borderline of getting called up would be held back in the playoffs. And you're saying, well, yeah, I'd rather be in the major <laughs> leagues. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. <laughs> and they said, no, we want you down here and try to win a championship and see if you can bring that attitude up yeah. to the major leagues. So what was a uh, – so you came out of high school, so you had to be, what, 17? Were you a young I high school? I was 17, yeah. So, so what was a 19-year-old Scoots like? <laughs> in Wait, wait. Were you in – were you you weren't in Burlington? Where was the App, Appy League team? No, I was in Bradenton. Oh, you were, I, I never went to that. Oh, place. you didn't go to the yeah, short no, season. No, no, okay, no. that's our high school. So you were in Bradenton, and then you went to. Um, did you go to? Uh, you were in Durham at some point, right? Which is yeah. which is where I played, right? In Durham. I was in Durham the year they made the movie Bull Durham. They okay. made it after the season. I was in there in '87. Okay. Because the next year is when I got drafted, and so I played for Kinston in '88. Oh, okay. So I was there right at the same time. It was Mike Hargrove your manager. Yeah, yeah. N- uh, no, 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 not there. He was there the year before, I believe. Okay, yeah, he was because yeah. he was he was kind of a step ahead of me. So what was a 19 year old Scoots like in Durham? Uh, play, were you, I assume you were playing second base as yeah. well. 
Yep. So you were surrounded with – tell me some of your teammates in that on that team. Well, on that team I had uh, Johnny Alva was a shortstop, Rick Morris at third base along with Alex Smith and Dot Johnson. So I'm trying to think, the major league – yeah, uh, was there anybody off that team, that Durham team, that made it to the big leagues besides you? I'm trying to know. You're making me go on a roster. <laughs> <laughs> the way your mind works, you've yeah, got that. Yeah, I can't figure it out. i got to figure it out now. Um, hmm. So were you a pool hitter? Were you a um, – Oh, you know what Durham was. For that <laughs> you short trying to right hit that bull for the stake, right? 20 home runs there in Durham. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know, had the short right field yeah. course, pulling everything. Heck, yeah. yeah. Well, then you uh, – that was in the movie. You, yeah. you got a stake. If you, you did. You, you get, did you, do you that? You get a stake dinner if, if, you, okay. if you hit a home run in Dang, Durham. That's all you had to do. We had to throw nine innings with less than 100 pitches to get a stake dinner. All you had to do was hit one home run. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That was our deal. I mean, that was that was all the minor leagues. Now the bullpen's calling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Oh, boy. I should know better than this. I have my phone on. There. That's all right. So good. You guys said you can go back and edit this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it's fun not to. It's fun, it's fun not to. We leave all of our uh, – I leave most of my mistakes in. I, every now and then, if there's a bad one, I'll take it you out. You know, getting back to that Durham team in 87, the one guy that is here is Brian Snicker. He oh, was my yeah. manager That's back right. then. It's interesting. Because um, in 1985, I shared second base with Ron Gant and Sumter the year before. So that's that, that would was be the, like I was Rome. thinking of Sumter, yeah. That would be like Rome right now. And uh, obviously, Ronnie got more playing time than I did, so I didn't play much. So coming, that was in 1985. So coming into the 86 season, we go to spring training. And the way spring training worked was the guys who were gonna play or whatever would make the road trips and go out and this one miami had teams down there vero beach and all of if you didn't make the road trips during spring training that was normally the guys that were probably going to get released and smoky burgess would come around he'd pick them all out they would all be out in a group they'd wait till the buses left and then you the, the buses would get back and see all these lockers cleared out mm. so i started thinking to myself you know we're getting towards the end of spring training and i haven't made a road trip and I'm wondering. So one day, here comes Smokey Burgess. We're all out there. And he, he calls my name. And he says, Hank wants to see you. Uh-oh. Hank, meaning Hank Aaron was our minor league farm director. And that was usually doomsday. So yeah. I thought it was over. So I walk in. And I told Hank, too. I said, we, <laughs> we loved you, Hank, as a player. But we were scared to death. No one wanted to go see you. Because mm-hmm. we knew what usually the outcome was going to be. And I walk in. And he said, you forgot to sign your contract. I said, really? wow, <laughs> so I'll sign that. And so I did. And so I went on, and, and then I played for the 86-something Braves, which was Brian Snicker was managing that team. And so when I talked to Brian Snicker about it, he said, yeah, he goes, I remember that spring training. He said, no one picked you on any team. He says, your name was still on the board, and we are getting down to the final places to put guys. He said, you know what, I'll take them. He says, they catch the ball, and he doesn't give me any problems. <laughs> so, so I got saved by Brian Snicker. Wow. More than That's once. That's a great story, yeah. And then from there on, me and Ron Gant separated at second base. I had 18 home runs a year. He had like 26, so. But how many errors did he have? I, uh, we don't count. <laughs> Offense means everything. That's why you separated, because yeah. you didn't make errors, right? You, you got to you gotta hit. You, hit. <laughs> you know, you can shake a tree, a lot of gloves fall out. There's <laughs> not right. many bats. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's good. How do you get a name like Smokey Burgess, man? That's a great baseball Solid name there. right there. Well, the nicknames back in the day were great. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, let's talk about your nicknames. So you had Scoots. Where did that come from? 
I think that came from Jimmy Williams. You know, I was just shuffling around the field, so he started with scoots. <laughs> okay. And that just uh, – That took off because yeah. I remember that one. Then you had dirt, I think, was before me. Yeah, Where did that – who that gave you that one? That came from Bobby. Bobby, okay, because yeah. you were always dirty. Yeah, Because you're Bobby. diving and everywhere. And then we – obviously, you had the similar name like all of us. You were Lemmer. Yeah. You know, because Bobby would take part of our name, uh, Mac or Lemmer or whatever. So It seemed like Bobby always added – like there were a lot of – not just Bobby. In baseball, you used to add an E on the end or a Y. <laughs> yeah. But you're uh, Lemke already in, so you had to go to Lemmer. I That's guess you right. had to change yeah. it up. Yeah. 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 And uh, Bobby was great for those because he had them all for everybody. And then even the Scoots ones, uh, the guys would play with it. They'd get it wrong and they start you know went to scops and scabs yeah, that's that's right yeah scraps. yeah scraps that's right. yeah. so that evolved into a lot of different names that's true i do remember that that's been I've, i mean i've brought it up a number of, of episodes now one of my favorite things we've done since we've been doing behind the brave since last fall was learning uh beyond mac because mac would be the standard mm-hmm. nickname right was his other nick or greg's other nickname uh, was Harry, which was what Greg Maddox told us. So, um, and the le- learning the whole. St- if you haven't heard the whole story behind that, go back and listen to the Greg Maddox episode. <laughs> if you're listening to this one, go back and listen. It's a fun one. But Doggy yeah. was uh, talking with us in Vegas in his uh, at his house. <laughs> we we had a good time hanging out with him. Oh. We went there for the winter meetings. Oh, okay. so we got to get him on the show and. So yeah, it was good what time. a nice reason to go out and visit him. Well, huh? yeah, I know. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It was a no. solid day. Yeah, a solid yeah. trip. A lot of work happened on that trip. Yeah. A lot of work for those four <laughs> days that we were there. A lot of work. That's right. So how early on, so you said kind of Snit kind of saved you and yeah. had you his team. So how? Four after, times in that, but that was just, that's <laughs> that was the only one, one I got to say on air. Okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> well, when, when did it kind of start coming together for you in the minors where you thought, okay, I'm on my way? on my way now to the big to the big club well, probably right then uh, you know because i had a chance to play every day i, I really didn't uh play every day once i got into a ball uh, and that was i guess what you're looking for is, is some sort of success you know because you, you there's always a lot of um i don't want to say doubt but you wonder you know every level you go up can i can i adjust to this level can i um, can I compete against this competition? And, and once you have a little bit of success, then you start thinking, well, maybe there's, I, I can do it to the, at the next level. And, and it, it goes all the way on up. I mean, people will always make the statement that if you can play double A baseball, you have the talent to play in the major leagues. It's just the little intangibles or, or the openings or having opportunities to get there. Uh, that means whether you can be a big leader or not. But I think you always doubt yourself until you get there. Can you compete and can you withstand that competition day in and day out and make the adjustments that are necessary to make? Hmm. Yeah, it's good that, you know, you go through these whole mind games throughout the minor leagues and it's really kind of um, what you have to do to prepare yourself for the big leagues because once you get there, you better have all that stuff worked out because there's nowhere to go from there except down, yeah. right? So that's where you want it to be fine-tuned. And, you know, people ask me about the teams you know, that we played on in the 90s. And, and I, you know, we didn't, we didn't have – and I'll, I'll – well, I'll, say I'll put it this way. So I've played with guys who had unbelievable building. And I, I think about Ray Ordonez for who's shortstop for the Mets. Had all the ability in the world. He could make every highlight reel you wanted to. But when it came down to making the routine plays day in and day out, he struggled. And so what I say is that don't give me 
a guy who gives me the highlight reel. Give me somebody who can make the plays what they're supposed to, and they do. They they bunt when you tell them to. They turn the double play when you when to. Don't I don't want the guy who goes you know twenty yards in the hole and makes a great throw from his knees to get to out. Just turn the double play because I'm going to have more of those plays. And so that's one thing I think about you and Blouse. I think about <clears throat> when I threw a pitch and the ball was up the middle, or there needed to be the routine play made, or or there was ball that just you wanted day in day out. You guys made it. And that's what made you special. But that was the way our team was uh, was built. We just had guys that made the plays that you were supposed to make and they didn't hurt themselves. And then we had timely hitting and then we had great pitching. And that was what made the team great. But that the defense was totally underrated. But we, you know, what we had, would you kind of put it that way or... I think that that's the way our team was kind of built. I mean, DJ wasn't the best right fielder in the world, but he made the plays, you know, and, and Ronnie ended up turning into a decent left fielder. And then you and Blouse were great up the middle and TP at third and, and Fred at first. I mean, we just had a good, solid defense. And I think that was what Bobby Cox, when he took over as GM, was envisioning, pitching, defense, and you'll get some hitting. Now, we had great balance, I thought, with pitching, defense, and hitting. And not only did we have really good hitters, we had uh, clutch hitters. Uh, I, I talk to people a lot. I talk to Fred McGriff a lot about, you know, if you were to pick one guy, and, and you know, I played with Chipper too, and, and I'll, I'll leave him out of this because Chipper I probably would pick. But talking with Fred, I say, you know, who would you think would be the toughest out with anybody? And he said, we, we both agree it would be David. He would give mm. you an at-bat like you wouldn't believe mm. whether the game was on the line or not. But if the game was on the line, forget about it. You're going to have to work to get him. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would add one more to that would be a close second would be Javi. Mm-hmm. Javi was, and you know, of course, Fred was great too. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of good guys, but Javi seemed like he was a clutch. He had some big hits and clutch hits um, for us throughout the playoffs. And, and that kind of leads me into, you know, you're, when, when I think about your career, you're not really known for your 162 games. I mean, you're known for how well you did in the postseason. And I looked up your numbers, you know, your your yearly average versus what you did in the World Series. I mean, you were in, what, six different World Series? Four, I'm sorry, four, four different World mm-hmm. Series. I mean, you batted almost 290. And then, but your regular season season average was probably twenty points lower. But but you stepped it up in the postseason, and I mean that's huge. I mean for talking about the the game is as intense and as special as it is in the postseason. What why do you think that happened? Uh, I I think opportunity. I think uh, you know I had some opportunities to to be in those positions. That's number one. You got to have, and and there's a possibility you get overlooked a little bit. Uh, when you're doing the scouting report and you're mentioning the big years other guys have, those teams know who those guys are, and they probably have their means say, this guy's not going to beat you, this guy's not going to beat you, don't walk this guy. And I was a guy that liked to swing early in the count, especially if it was straight. So a lot of times you get guys that would come right after you. You know, They weren't going to mess around with a guy like myself because they knew who they had. And, and don't. there was a lot of times that I got moved up in the bad and order so mm-hmm. i knew if sure. the leadoff guy got on and i know who's behind me they're gonna come right after me and you're gonna have to swing your your, your chance of you trying to get on base walking is not gonna happen and so that's the way i felt well you're also facing you know you're facing the best of the best once you get to the world series so i, I don't know if that's completely true <laughs> i understand what you're saying but still you stepped it up and it wasn't because you weren't nervous 
because you did get nervous, yeah, right? I, I did. <laughs> but I mean, if there was a time to get nervous, it was the World Series. But yet, so I think about the most nerve-wracking times, right? And then you performing the best. I mean, that says a lot about you as a player because we all see those October kind of guys, and 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 you've been kind of known for that. So and, that's and, good. And growing up, I watched a lot of Yankee series, and uh, you know, you're a kid, and you always dream about being there. You're in the backyard. You got a bat. You're hitting rocks or something. You're trying to play uh, Reggie Jackson or somebody for the Yankees, and then all of a sudden you're in the, the position. And you, you start saying to yourself, well, geez, this is where you wanted to be. This is mm-hmm. what you talked about your whole life. You said, boy, I wish I'd get in one of those positions. And then you're, you're in there and you're like, uh-oh, That's pretty be amazing. careful of what you ask for. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is we were talking about david justice we had him on behind the braves uh, around opening week i believe it was early april and this is one of the things i asked him about and i wanted to ask you about it as well like a lot of kids across the southeast and the united states me i grew up in virginia kind of my first love i developed a love for for the game of baseball through being able to watch baseball on tbs and braves baseball and I was at an age where in the early 90s and 91 season was the first season where I was kind of old enough to first start watching sports and being interested and wanting to play and all of that. As I told David uh, when we had him on, like that was the first athlete poster I had on my wall was my David Justice poster. When I played Little League, I tried to model my stance after his. I wore my batting helmet over my regular hat because that was the way Mark Lemke did it. Like that was that was that kind of the I fell in love with the game through watching you guys on TBS. And at that time, Cubs, we've talked about it many times on here for a lot of years, Cubs in the afternoon and then Braves at night. And that was kind of the only baseball a lot of people could watch every day. So the 91 season happens, and I don't know if it was some point during the 91 season, maybe it was afterward, but the Braves, at least from my memory, really did kind of start to become America's team. Did you sense as a player, was there a time where you maybe it was going on road trips or away cities where you started feeling like this thing of like, hey, we're not just we're not just Atlanta's team, we're not just Georgia's team, we're more regional, maybe we really are kind of a america's team now did you guys ever have that sense oh no doubt about it and i think that was uh, the vision for ted turner and tbs when he started because it was called the braves were called america's team before all that ever happened (laughs) right i think but that that's what ted was thinking with his vision of tbs being all over and we would make trips to houston it would almost you almost feel bad for the opposing team because we'd go into the stadium there'd be like a home game for the braves and uh, we had a lefty here a while ago, um, Mike Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Mike, and yeah. Mike told me I grew up in Houston. He said, but let me tell you something. I was a huge Braves fan, and he knew, oh. knew all the yeah. guys. And you'd meet people from Montana and Wyoming and places like that. And you're thinking, okay, they're closer to those teams. They've got to be the fans of them. And they'd be like, no, we drove all the way down here for the Braves. So it was, it was really amazing to see the fans throughout the mm. whole country. Well, that had to all start for you guys back in 91 when, you know, you were right there in the middle of the whole last to first movement and being the World Series and seeing the Tomahawk chop and all that in Fulton County. And I came on the tail end of that in 93, but 91, 92 had to be really special where really it drew you guys together as a team because that core was together for three, four, five years. Um, coming up through the early 90s, and it, that's kind of when that all started. Even though we were watching the Braves well before then, it wasn't until really that moment that that team kind of took off and become what it is today. Yeah, I used to always uh, kid around with the former Braves coach, Jim Beecham, 
and and beach uh we would talk about our minor league days and shoot fire shoot fire would always have this <laughs> saying he says and you got the talent in this room this would be in west palm beach in a minor league club to have a parade down Peachtree Street. And I, I used to always mess around with Beach because I'd never been, you know, really into Atlanta. I've been here before, but never to go around the city. I said, where is this Peachtree Street? <laughs> <laughs> and then and when we did it that year in 91, you know, it was like, wow. That's, yeah. that's what he was well, talking about. You know, when we did, uh, we did the Chevy Youth Clinics about, um, I don't know, about a month ago, one of the kids were asking what was the you know the, the most fun thing that I've done. I said, well, have you ever ridden a fire engine down the street <laughs> on top? I said, that's pretty fun. <laughs> well, talk about kind of chasing dreams. I am curious. And again, I never trust the Internet completely, but I had read up and I had heard this story about you. So you can tell me if, it, if it's completely true or what parts are true that uh, you decided to try to become a knuckleballer for a little while and went indie ball with the, the Jackals, I believe it was. Just what was that experience like? That was only because I just wanted to do it. That was like a bucket list thing. That wasn't really trying to, hey, if it happened, of course. No, I'm not going to say no, I wouldn't have. But I just always wanted to just do that to end out my career, just like one of those things, you know, you say, you know, before this is over with, I want to do this or – yeah. Well, you threw no, uh, as long True. as I've known you. You were like, "Hey, Mac, Mac, catch this! Tell me what you think." I mean, he's always doing that every BP. He's always on the side working on his knuckleball. So that didn't surprise me that that happened because he's been throwing knuckleballs as long as I've known him. So that's what I wanted to do, and I I couldn't. <laughs> figure, I was trying to figure out how to at least get involved in it. You know, obviously doing it in professional baseball, even though it's independent, was very competitive. I mean, there were some good players there. So that wasn't probably the, the avenue I should have took, but it was it was a lot of fun. And Cash Beecham, we just mentioned Jim Beecham, Cash Beecham mm. was the manager of that team. And it was in Montclair, New Jersey. The Jackals are only about 10 minutes from Yankee Stadium. So it was moving right up to New York City and doing it in the, uh, where was that, in Secaucus, where they had, now MLB is up mm-hmm. there. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. That's why I wanted to ask because the way I'd read it up on it, it was kind of like a – well, you said a bucket list thing. They presented on there, and it was like it was kind of like chasing a dream thing. I just thought, what a cool way to like, okay, this part of the career is over. I want to try this thing, and and that's one of those live with no regrets things. I think it's, it's one of those things that you know you're fortunate enough to get that opportunity because a lot of people have these things. You know, they want to try. You know, you you do these things and say, well, I'm not even going to have any fear of failure. I'm just going to go out there and do follow my heart and do what you want but you also got to have someone that's willing to give you an opportunity to, to do oh, it sure right and we played at yogi Berra stadium it was something i you know you got to see yogi's museum uh, a, a different part of new jersey i never really knew much about a lot of great things happened uh with that experience so i i really enjoyed it, it was a lot of fun so what were the results i won five games my first year did you nice. yeah. okay they weren't good how results. many innings I, not many. Not many? Not many. I, I was vulching a couple wins there. Come <laughs> <laughs> throw a pitch. You get in relief? I, I, I really don't Knuckle remember. Knuckleball relief? <laughs> I don't remember how. I think I did it first off, but um, I, I also talked to Phil Necro, Nuxie, quite a bit about it. And, uh, you know, he used to tell me, he says, it's work. He says, uh, people think, you know, you can throw a knuckleball all day long, but you're putting a lot of effort into throwing that. Well, and the way that, you're holding it, it's got to put a lot of strain on your arm, too. A lot of strain on your, your forearm, too, your, your different grip. And I, I think anybody that's ever thrown one before knows that you got to get it up there with a little bit of velocity 
because it's 60 feet, six inches away, and a lot of mine dropped long before they got the home plate. You know, you now, just, did you uh, use your nails, or did you just – okay, so there's wear and tear on your nails, yeah. too. And, and trying to – you know, you, you try to figure out what's the ideal length for them and mm-hmm. what's the best way, and uh, should I cut them low or – yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It was havoc, but I had a lot of fun. That was, that was a good experience. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you don't see that. I don't know. Are there any knuckleballers? There, I know there's one guy for the Red Sox. Yep. Is there anybody else in big leagues right now that are throwing? I mean, there's typically were two or three or four. Yeah, there was always like a Steve Sparks, a Tim Wakefield. Springer was yeah. a guy from San Diego, and yeah, Wakefield and uh, Charlie Huff was in the league yeah. when I came. Exactly. When I, when I started playing, well, he looked like he was like 60 years old. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he was up there. He's pretty, he was, yeah. I think you know, he had, though. The thing about it is that he was only about 45, and there's times I wish I was 45 right now. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. He seemed old to us, yeah. I'm sure, walking around these young guys. I don't know. I had a young kid here. Was This was a few year, couple years ago, and he was wearing my, the number that I wore, 38, and I saw him in the halls, and – I said, "Hey, nice number," and and uh, and I said, I, "I used to wear that when I pitched." And he said, "Oh yeah, when'd you pitch?" And then he goes, "Man, you're old." <laughs> that was his comment to me. I'm like, "Yeah, and you'll be old one day too." <laughs> yeah, it happens quickly. That was nice of him to drop that on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. You, you know, when I think about knuckleballs, though, one of the best I've ever seen, and it's dangerous to catch it, was John Smoltz. Really? Because he could throw it so hard oh, too. Okay. And that would be, uh, I'd say, Smalls. <laughs> he said he came one year to spring training. That's what he was going to do. Well, throw. he threw it in games. Yeah, he threw it in yeah. games. I remember watching a couple, last couple years of him, well, of his career and of him as a Brave, uh, watching a couple spring training games where he would drop it. And it seemed like he especially liked to drop it if he was facing an old teammate or an ex-teammate. Mm. And he would drop it. And that was always so much fun to tune in and watch a spring training game and watching the guy, whoever he was facing. I want to say maybe did it to Adam LaRoche one time mm-hmm. when he was pissed. But, but stuff like that. And it was always kind of entertaining to watch it and uh, watch him kind of throw it in there. And I, I assume he probably threw, he probably did throw it in actual yeah. games too, didn't he? Yeah. Well, well, he did because yeah. I think Eddie Perez – I think one time – You'll have to ask Eddie Perez. It was his t- he didn't. He, he was trying to avoid something. Tommy John, right. and he yeah. said, "I'm going to get through this year with, with uh, the knuckleball." Mm-hmm. Um, when he went to spring training, and uh, I don't think he made it through. He ended up having Tommy John, but he, he was trying to do it knuckleball, and he was throwing trying yes, to throw a sidearm right. too. Yeah, he was trying to just basically get through the year, and that was which was. It's, pretty, pretty, it's amazing how he, he could make those adjustments and have the, have the career yeah. he had. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, it really is. So how do you – so just uh, going from the playing career, you know, you do the knuckleball thing. How did broadcasting come about? How did that, that – was, and was that something you thought about as a player, about getting into once you were done? No, I was pretty much sitting at home. Uh, took a few years off. Uh, me and Greg and Terry Pendleton started a baseball school. So that was about the time I was – doing the knuckleball thing and finishing up. And then uh, Terry had went on to uh, become the hitting instructor. And uh, I got a call from the Braves to fill in for a couple of games. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. But I didn't think much of it. And then in uh, 2005, uh, Clear Channel, WGST, I believe it was. um, I don't know the call numbers and all that very well. But they took over the Braves broadcast and – I got a call from a guy named Bruce Collins and asked me if I wanted to be on the pregame show. And I, was, I didn't even know they had one. Who, but I who guess was it was doing it then? Skip and Pete were doing oh, it. Oh, okay. And they used to do it out in center field at uh, Turner Field. 
by the drum. And they had a they had a little booth, a cramp booth they were in, and they <laughs> did it from there. Yeah, and they would get their ride out there every day. So I never even realized that, but Pete, the regular broadcasters actually did that show themselves. Oh wow, wow, yeah. that was a long day for them. I yeah, so yeah, big time. And you've been doing that ever since. Yeah, I think what what happened though, their their show might have been a little more abbreviated. They mm. then when they made it a regular show, they stretched it out a little bit, and so now it's a. Yeah, I'd be a little much as broadcasters to do that on top of the game. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm thinking about some of the alumni that were on there. I know Jay Howe was on there, Jeff Treadway, Leo Mazzoni, Leo. That's right. Any other guys? C.J. Nikowski. Oh, C.J. did. C.J. Okay. came out for like a a cameo, then he jumped to. Now he's the he Rangers. Just went big time. On yeah. Us. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's very good. In the MLB.com, he's on. C.J. is very good. Yeah. And he's he lives here, but he travels and does all the Rangers uh, games. I don't yeah. know if it's TV or I radio. Think he's on TV. Yeah, does a good job. Yeah, he does. Really Any good. other alumni that you can you remember that been on there? Um, I mean, we got guys doing TV. We got so many. A little uh, bit more now than in the TV side. And now it's just you and Domino and and Ben. Yeah, well, Ben's up there in the booth most of the time. So when he's not, when Ben's not working the games, the regular games, it's a, it's. A, Grant McCauley and oh okay, um, yeah we have uh, Matt Chernoff. And oh, he Wiley, fills in. Wiley okay. Ballard fills in too. So they've they've had to do it since Ben now is kind of part of the radio broadcast yeah. team with Joe Simpson, Jim Powell. Because he was your partner there for a long oh, time. A long time, yeah. Yeah, he's done a good job. Last transition. Hard hitting question for me: What <laughs> do you remember about Greg McMichael as a teammate? Oh, Mac was great. I remember. Uh, it was was it the spring of '93 was your first one, mm-hmm. so Matt comes in and uh, didn't you know I didn't know him that well because he came from a different organization, but um, I didn't know if he was paying Dion or was it just because <laughs> Dion Sanders happened to be playing in the games. But every day Dion would just go on and on about this guy, uh, and that's how I first got to know who he was because Dion just kept bragging about how well he was pitching in the game. And at that time, I was maybe one of the regulars, so I was out of the game before he had got in a lot of days. And 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 Dion would just come in raving and raving and raving and, and Dion. T- telling us all the time about it. He ever take you fishing? Uh, I've been with him once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he took me fishing too. My first, my first year, yeah, it was fun with his bobbers. Yeah, the bobber. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was him and Otis put the bobber on the lure. Yeah. But he had his prime time truck. Yeah, and, and we got and he got towed. I don't know if I told oh, that story. Oh, I don't think I've heard I tell that. You story? No, I don't think I've heard that. Yeah, so he takes me fishing for the first time. We go over to the apartments, and it says, obviously, you know, you have to live here to park, and and so we got there and fishing. We come back, and the truck's gone. And he's like, oh, he goes, he's so mad. He knows, he knows he got towed. So we take a cab down to the, to the uh, police station or the the pound, and he's just re- re- giving them the right act, saying that they towed him because they knew it was prime, you know, it was prime time truck that they was his. And so of course he had prime time written on right. the truck. It was all in the you know silver letters on the bottom. And I just remember him being so mad because they towed his truck. And but uh, yeah, he was great. He took took me fishing that maybe that was his his way and he'd take me out to lunch and stuff but it was it was a lot of fun we had, of course that team you know we all walked in they were you guys had just been the world series two years in a row right. and, and you guys were just studs and, and i remember at, at that time there really weren't a whole lot of openings available so when you talk about a dark horse i'm sure you came in there you know thinking what, what am i have to do to make this team mm-hmm. and ended up closing games for us 
Yeah, I don't think any, I, nobody thought about making that team. I mean, you think about the, even the bullpen. I mean, there were just those guys – you guys had been together for two years in a row. Nothing really changed except for Maddox. You know, Charlie Lee Brand had moved on. And and then we Max. brought in some veteran guys that year, and I remember even guys like Steve Bendrosian and, and Jay Holland, Bedrock had been around, won a Cy Young out of the bullpen, and he's – every day he's like, you think I'll make this team? <laughs> <laughs> every day he had me cornered. You think I'll make this team? I'm like ah. – I don't make those decisions. Bedrock. I want to know now, he said. <laughs> That's right. He wasn't a guy you wanted to mess with I'm anyway. Like, yeah, I, if it was up to me, you're on the team, I Oh, told my gosh. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much, you're man. Welcome. We really appreciate your time. It was a good time. That's going to be a winner for Atlanta. The runner tags at third. Here's the throw from Matt. Our thanks again to Mark Lemke for joining us here on Behind the Braves. Really fun getting to talk with him for a while, and he's very generous with his time. And right after we wrapped up with him, he was headed across the street to go over to 680 and do pregame for tonight's game. So we're starting a homestand here tonight as we're recording this. So really cool of him to give us a lot of time. Something else is pretty cool. We have talked a lot about Fantasy Camp the last few months. Well, we're going to stop advertising for you to go sign up for Fantasy Camp. And why is that? Yeah, we've sold out uh, Fantasy Camp for 2020. That's awesome. Uh, we do have a waiting list now, and uh, you're welcome to you know email me, um, and uh, if you want to get on that, just in case. I do have some people that typically drop off, but but uh, yeah, Camp is officially sold out, which is great. Um, but also for those that that uh, didn't get in for this year, um, we'll be opening up registration probably again around April 15th next year for the 2021. But we do have some other great VIP experiences. Uh, one of them is Brave for a Day, which we do a four-hour event here at SunTrust Park. And the next one is on July 30th, which you can go to braves.com slash alumni and then click on Brave for a Day, and it'll have all the details there. We take you through what it's like to get ready for a ball game. So I'll have alumni out there that'll be coaching you, take you through hitting drills and pitching drills and um, fielding drills, and then we will um, get to hit live on the field. We'll do a Q&A, autographs, pictures, and lunch inside the SunTrust Club, and then you have a private tour of the stadium. It's a lot of fun. It's a four-hour event. We'll do it. Uh, I have a few more throughout the year, but right now the next one's July 30th, and then the other ones may not be till the off-season. But that's a really, really fun event. So if you're gonna not going to be able to get in on Fantasy Camp this year, Brave for Day is the next best thing. We also have Alumni Sunday coming up. We've got three great, great um, uh, alumni here. Mark Lemke, Chris Chambliss, and Tommy Gregg will be here this Sunday sign autographs in the plaza and then uh, then that'll lead us up into uh, alumni weekend which is in August sweet well we're going to be talking a lot about that I'm sure as it gets close because that's always that's always one of my favorite weekends of the year 
It has been since I moved down here and started working with MLB and the Braves. I love that. It, it, it's so much fun. All those guys are here, and they're all. You can tell they're having fun with each other. The fans love it and are having a great time. So, I, I look forward to talking about that with you uh, as it gets closer. Um, as we're sitting here talking about this yesterday, as we're recording this, yesterday was the great Walter Banks' 80th birthday, longtime Braves usher. I'm sure most of you out there not only know Walter, if you've been to a Braves game, you've probably met Walter or said hi to him or had your picture taken with him, probably heard some interesting trivia and numbers from him. Uh, this Friday, July 5th, I believe it's Friday, it's July 5th for sure, uh, the Walter Banks bobblehead giveaway. Nice. That's going to be popular. It's really cool. That I think that's something that's been talked about for a number of years now. Uh, um, and I'm glad that they waited until this year because it's kind of cool where it's in conjunction with his 80th birthday. And just talk about it, but somebody had seen every, everything oh my with gosh. the Braves. I mean, he's been here with the Braves since they moved to Atlanta in 66. He's Walter's been there for three stadiums, for all the different changes, all the different mm-hmm. teams, all those amazing moments. I mean, he's been here for all of it. So uh, if you're not already planning on coming out, uh, come on out and get yourself a Walter Banks bobble. Get here early. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And we're trying to get him on the podcast. But you know his agent is uh, is kind of tough. He's a popular man. He is. I he mean, is. Um, a lot of interview so, requests for yeah, him. Yeah, the schedule is kind of tight for him. But we will have him on hopefully this month. And um, we were trying to get him on sooner than later. But he's in high demand. He's which a busy he man. should be. Yeah. He should be. He hobnobs with presidents. <laughs> I mean, the that's right. Team owners and uh, and everybody. Walter Walter knows everybody. He's never met a stranger. Never has. He's always just so friendly. I see him most days. More often the night i'll at least run into him in the in the break room in the in the in the press box up there mm-hmm. and it's just he's always smiling he, whatever number you got whatever trivia like he's gonna mm-hmm. find a way to to talk to you like i remember one time i was talking with him he asked me where i was from and i said virginia and then he named off virginia's mother of presidents we've had the most presidents mm. united states presidents were born in virginia i believe there's eight and not only did he know that knew that there were eight he named all eight of them for me which oh i gosh. couldn't do and i'm born and raised there yeah. so like just even random stuff like that that he'll know he's yeah. a pretty amazing guy he is he's uh he's pretty smart always has a smile on his face on his face and he's also i think he truly might love his job more than anybody here at the stadium no doubt no doubt he does enjoy people enjoys being here and it's always good to see walter around absolutely well we're looking forward to his bobblehead giveaway and as always thank you to everybody for your reviews and comments and sharing the podcast watching on youtube i we were just looking at the the numbers on the the ey the eric young interview were pretty pretty cool pretty astounding what so people are starting to find us on youtube behind the rays on youtube not every episode is on there but uh, a lot of them are so you can check us out there itunes or I should say Apple Podcasts. iTunes is going the way of the, the oh, Dodo. Yeah, yeah. Chain, so, rebranding. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, so Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Spotify, Google Play, Braves.com slash Behind the Braves, wherever, wherever you most prefer to listen to us, you can find us there, and we very much appreciate it. So for Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next time on Behind the Braves.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.